Okay, question number one, multiple choice. According to 1 Corinthians 2, very important passage. Very important passage. How can human beings come to know the mind of God? A, through inner feelings and intuitive knowledge. B, through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. C, through instinctual beliefs. D, by listening to the voices in your head. Definitely not the voices in your head. <laughs> no, it's B, right? The illuminating power of the Spirit. I mean, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, so hopefully you got that one. <clears throat> um, short answer. What does the term regenerate mean? I said renew. No. No. What does generate mean? I wrote to revivify. Whoa. Revivify. Interesting. That's the most concise way I could. What does the word generate mean? In a sense, I can't really see Abby. I'm going to scoot this way. There we go. Now I can't see Rachel. <laughs> Casey, you're just in the way. Um, so, genao means in Greek to be born. Generate literally means to be born. So, born again. Did anybody get that one? That was the word. The Holy Spirit regenerates. You're born again by the Spirit. I was thinking born again, made new. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking yeah, like renew, made new, born again. Yeah. I'll think about it. Born again is what I'm looking for. Make alive again. Everybody. Revivify is pretty close, but that's not. <laughs> I mean, it's, I was trying to get you to connect the biblical term born again with regenerate. And now we know. And I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think that may have been the hardest question. Maybe. No, I'm pretty sure. Number four. What's the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? We didn't do three yet. Oh, number three. True or false? Only the name Holy Spirit should refer to the Holy Spirit. The name Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ are different entities. True or false? False. That is false. Yeah. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, same thing as the Holy Spirit. Yes, ma'am? Question? Oh, no. Sorry. You look like you're getting ready to say something. Um... Number four, what is the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? Was this in your book? I don't remember it It wasn't in the book. Oh, there isn't. That's right. So it's no difference. There's no difference. Did you say anything? What did you say? I, I was, I thought about I said I, I didn't remember any difference. What? Kevin, that is so lucky. Yeah, there is no, there is no difference. What did, what did you write? Can oh, you I didn't tell? think there was a difference. I just had no clue why you give us all the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I give you all that space? Well, if I'd have put one little line, then then you could have then you would have known the answer is nothing. But if I give you space, it makes you think maybe there's supposed to be a difference. The genuineness in your pain. Man, this was not supposed to be that hard of a quiz. I'm so sorry. I'll think about it. Multiple choice. Which of the following is not a representation of the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Wheat, F, wheat. I just, that's the only thing, yeah. Yeah, everything else is, uh, there's a handout right here that will go in your notebook, Amanda, yeah. Everything else, so clothing, being endued, being clothed with the Spirit, the Spirit coming like a dove, the pledge of the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit, the oil of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, the Spirit's called like water, you know, um, so... What's the pledge of this? The pledge is like a guarantee, a pledge. Um, it's it's um, like a seal. A seal is like, a, like, like something that would seal a document. The pledge is like a down payment. So you use the word pledge. Uh, to, it's, it's like your first deposit, yeah. So um, this may have been a little harder than I anticipated, but um, I appreciate your That's good... Right well, don't be frustrated. Should I, should it's I just a, write guess next to his answer? No, 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 don't write that. Just, just write a little X um, and pass it in. And uh, number out of five, correct. All of you did really well on your papers. Uh, I was very happy with the, uh, the work in general. It's a big X. Trying to think, uh, most of you just did a great job. You kind of regurgitated the textbook, which is... <laughs> You know, not bad. The textbook's very concise, and you, you hit all of our main points. And um, I didn't detect any plagiarism. 
<laughs> Not to say there wasn't any, but I didn't detect any, so good job with that. Um, did you have anything you wanted to, it's been a couple weeks since we met, do you have any questions that you want to follow up on? I was thinking if we had so much information that it almost felt like plagiarism at some points, where it was just, yeah. like, just like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like it was, no. Nah. No, it was all good. Um, if you take out your notebook, we're going to talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Our next um, uh, our next unit is on the Spirit of God here. Um, unit, I guess it's called Unit 2, Pneumatology. So, uh, Pneumatology, you might have picked this up from the book. At one point, um, you know, we already talked about Christology. And what is Christology? Uh, Study of Christ. Christ. What does Christ mean? Christ is Messiah or chosen one, to be more literal. It's like anointed, right? Or chosen. In, in Greek, it's Christos, okay? In Hebrew, it's Mashiach. That's how you would say that, Mashiach. So we say Messiah, it's the same, basically, in English. But that's Christ. So Christology, you're talking about pneumatology. The word pneuma is, um, do you know what that word means? If you had to guess, what would you say? Spirit. Yeah, it means spirit. Yeah, you caught it from your reading that it not only means spirit, it means breath or wind. So, uh, pneuma. Uh, in Greek, it looks like this. Okay, pneuma. And it is. it has to do with the breath or wind or spirit. Um. So, pneumatology is the study of the Spirit, specifically of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we talk about this in your book. We're going to talk about first his identity, uh, his personality, I should say, the personality of the Spirit. This is important because of the problems that are... We talked about Arius and Arianism and the Jehovah's Witnesses. We talked about Christology. The same issue applies with, with pneumatology, with the Jehovah's Witness. They do not believe in the personhood of the Spirit. They believe the Spirit is a force, like electricity going through an electrical line. That's how they describe the Spirit. But what you find is if you look at the, the Word of God, it often, very often describes the personality of the Spirit. You don't, you don't ascribe a personality to those things which are just forces. Okay, so his identity confirms his personality. There's some blanks for you to fill in here. Uh, we talk about personality, we're talking about three things, possessing three specific things, and that's his intellect, emotions, and will. So intellect, emotions, and will. And in, our, in common terms, this is thinking, emoting, and wanting. Okay, what do you think about? What do you emote? Okay, excitement, grief, fear, all those emotes, emotions, and desires, wanting. Okay, so these are your three intellect, emotions, and will. And you would say if someone possesses those three, they have personality. Okay, personality. Um, we demonstrate the Holy Spirit has these traits by way of demonstrating his personality. We should not refer to the Holy Spirit. This is a danger, by the way. We should not refer to the Holy Spirit as a thing or an it, as if he is only an influence. Um, so when you talk about the Holy Spirit, we use the term he. We use the pronoun he. He, the spirit of truth. When he, the spirit of truth, has come. We don't say when it, the spirit of truth, has come. And I've heard Christians talk, to the, talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. And there's a tendency of people in our circles, people in conservative uh, Baptist churches, especially this kind of, uh, you know, tradition where we are very careful about, uh, we're very, I should say, cautious about 
overuse of the spirit of, of the spirit, maybe the spirit as an excuse for all kinds of bad behavior. A lot of Christians misuse the spirit, and so we tend to go in the other direction. And I hope to help you have some balance in this uh, today. Arius taught that the Holy Spirit was a quote influence emanating from the Father. Nicaea, the quote of uh, the Council of Nicaea, AD 325, condemned this, and um, we condemn it as well. So his attributes confirm his personality. Uh, very important passage. Just t- turn your Bible there if you want, but I'll also put some there uh, in your um, notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is one of the most important passages dealing with the role of the Spirit in the believer's life. Um, and so if, if you would like to look at this and study this at length, um, it might be helpful. Uh, if you look at verse if you go back, I know I only quote there verse 10, but if you go back to like uh, verse 6, Paul there speaking says, um, We speak wisdom among those who are mature, <clears throat> yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. So there's a key concept here of knowledge. So, so follow, this, follow this knowledge here. Follow this, this um, line of argument. The, the rulers of this age did not know, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, they could not know the mind of God. It was hidden from them. But, look at verse 10, God has revealed them. What's them referring to? Is he talking about the things that he references? Yeah, he's talking about the things which God has prepared. The, the truths of God are revealed how? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that purpose, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things. With spiritual, for the natural man does not receive the things, does not know the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. And we could keep going. And, and he says at the very end, therefore, we have the mind of Christ. The picture here is that the Spirit is the one who communicates to us the truth of God, that it is the, the Spirit of God in God who can and does communicate the truth. And so in this passage, we actually see several attributes of the Spirit which confirm his identity as a person. Notice uh, 1.2.1, his intellect. The Spirit searches all things. Okay, the word to search is to investigate or to examine. The word, the Spirit searches to investigate or examine. Uh, The Greek word here is... um, Eurisco. What does that look like? Eureka. It's where we get our word Eureka from. Eureka means I have found it. And Eurisco is to search. He searches. He investigates all things. He examines. John 5, 39. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think you have, in the same picture here, you search, same word, Spirit searches. Look at uh, verse 11. He also has not only intellect, he has knowledge. The Spirit understands the mind of God. Okay. Third, he has a mind. Romans 8.27. Who can read that verse? I think it's in your notes for us, right? You have Romans 8.27 in there? Can you read it, Kevin? Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He makes intercession for the saints the mind of the spirit. Okay, the spirit. <clears throat> so the spirit has a mind. He's not a force. 
The mind is a way of thinking. It's a mindset. It's an aim. It's an aspiration. It's a striving. It's his desires, his mind. Also, the spirit has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 commands us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So can you grieve electricity? Obviously not, but you can grieve people. Also, he has a will. Acts 16.6. Who can read that? Anybody want to read it? I'm assuming you have it. Your notes, is it there in your notes or no? It's not. I'll read it. Then when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So the Spirit forbids. So he has a will. He has a power of sovereign choice and decision making. That makes him person or that reveals that he is person. Also, his works confirm his personality. His works, straight from the book, in case you miss any blanks, you can go back and pick this up. Notice that in John 14, the Spirit teaches. John 14, 16, and 26, I'll pray the Father who will give you another helper. That word helper, do you know what that word is? It's also comforter, right? Uh, Comforter. In some translations, uh, the Greek is parakletos. It's, um, uh, let me write it out. Parakletos. And it's has to do with this idea of coming alongside parakaleo, to encourage, to exhort. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, when he says, I exhort you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, he uses the verbal form of this noun, I exhort you, to exhort, to comfort, to come alongside you. It has a picture of this. If you ever wanted to take someone somewhere, you're like, you put your arm around their shoulder and you say, let's go this way. It's to come alongside someone. You're encouraging, comforting, and exhorting all in the same movement. Does that make sense? It's not like when I'm, I'm teaching you now, This is not really exhorting. This is instruction. So I'm facing you directly, right? Face to face, shoulder to shoulder. But if I were to turn and we would go a direction together, that's more of the picture here. And the work of the spirit is that coming alongside and comforting and encouraging. Um, That's part of his work there. The spirit teaches. The spirit testifies. John 15, 26. Anybody can read that? Okay, we see something significant there in that his procession is from the Father, and exactly what that means is, is difficult to say. We just use the same words the Bible uses. We say he proceeds from the Father, and that he finds his, uh, his source of authority, and his source, uh, source is not the right word, but we call him procession, his eternal procession from the Father. The Father is the one who is the center, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father, and the Spirit's job is to testify of the Son. So we have this connection here. Where with the Spirit, we have the Father, we have the Spirit and the Son. This is how you often see it. And the Spirit proceeds from the Father, but testifies of the Son. Okay, he's not testifying of himself. He's testifying of the Son, about the Son, the work of the Son. So he's, he's speaking about Christ. That's his primary job, which again helps us. This is just a ding, ding, ding kind of a thing you might want to take note of when you write your paper on gifts and things like that. Like, what's the Spirit's main job? Is it to do special spiritual fun, fun stuff where you run around speaking funny languages and healing people by bopping them on the head? Is that, is that what it says? What's the Spirit's job? Who, what is he doing? He's testifying of the Son. His primary job is the illuminating work in the Word of God to teach us about the Son of God. You see, the power of the Spirit is primarily connected to the Word. It's not connected to the stuff that you see on TV late at night. Okay, um, the Spirit guides, John sixteen thirteen. when he, the Spirit of truth has come, he's called the Spirit of truth, he will what? He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So the Spirit is speaking, he's procession from the Father, he's speaking uh, not of his own authority, but of the authority of the Father. Other big job of the Spirit, John 16, 3, John 16, 8, the Spirit convicts. 
When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will convict. What does convict mean? Not a convict, but what does is, what is the word convict mean? Anybody have an idea? It's like um, making you aware of your sin. Okay, making you aware of your sin. Um, can you think of a stronger way to say that? That's not bad. I mean, I, I think of like declaring guilty. Okay? I just looked it up. The Greek has the idea of being exposed. Being exposed. Um, Allegco is the Greek, if in case you're... Uh, Allegco. Um, and the idea of... God, through the Spirit, exposing the world's sin. sin what, do, what do the people in the world try to do with sin? Men, men love darkness rather than light. What do they try to do? Try to hide. What is the Spirit's job? Bring to light. Right. The Spirit regenerates. This is um, John 5.21, Titus 3. Just as the Son of God gives life to the believers, so the Holy Spirit regenerates people. We see that in Ezekiel 36. That's the dead bones, I believe. The, uh, the dry bones, I should say. And... Um, they're given life. For as the Father raises the dead, gives life to them, so the Son gives life to whom He will. John five twenty one. Not by works which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus three five. Next, the Spirit intercedes. Romans eight twenty six. He intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I love this verse. I love this verse. Romans eight twenty six. Do you like this verse? Why? What is it about this verse, uh, Abby? What do you think? You're looking like you want to say something. What is it about this verse that means something to you? It's comforting because oftentimes, or at least I feel like, and I think humans in general, we feel like I don't know what to say. Um, usually because overwhelmed by emotion, but even that, like the Spirit understands, and God understands the Spirit. We can really see even when we don't. Ah, that's exactly right. When you don't feel like you have the words. Um, uh, yeah, I think also, have you ever felt inadequate? Um, lots of times. Uh, I, I like, I, follow me here, I really like poetry. I love reading poetry. I've read some great poets, and I was reading some John Donne this past week, and the man had a, word, had a way with words, and he could just, he had some beautiful thoughts and some beautiful prayers to the Lord, uh, People like George Herbert and John Donne and these guys who were godly men. Um, and has it ever occurred to you that you don't have to be as eloquent as they were to pray to God? That the more eloquent you are does not mean you are more spiritual. Like, I can't always articulate my feelings and my thoughts, and my thoughts aren't always super, you know, whatever, deep or whatever, but... But these guys, the kinds of things that they thought and the kinds of ways that they thought does not necessarily mean that they're closer to God. The Spirit intercedes for me. He knows what I mean and what I need. Um, it, it, is, it takes away our inadequacy. It takes away uh, any of that. So I, I think it's so comforting. It's so comforting to know the intercession work of the Spirit with groanings which cannot be uttered. The idea of Things that we can't say, that we don't know what to say, that are deep in, our, in ourselves. <clears throat> Acts 13, 2. Um, excuse me. The Holy Spirit said, now separate from me. So he commands. And they were sent out by the Spirit. Acts 13, 4. Also, his position confirms his spirituality or his personality. Um, Ryrie says this in the book. Certain acts are performed towards the Holy Spirit, which would be most incongruous incongruous if he did not possess true personality. That is, as we saw in Ephesians 4.30, the spirit can be grieved. The spirit, Matthew 12.32, can be blasphemed. Just as the father can be blasphemed, the son can be blasphemed, so the spirit can be blasphemed. In fact, this is what's given the highest level of uh, of punishment. Excuse me, Matthew 12.32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Matthew 12, 30. This is the so-called unpardonable sin. Okay. Um, 
That's, I, I take this to be a very specific sin of blaspheming the Spirit, something an unbeliever can do. Uh, some people believe it can't be done anymore um, because this was a specific time during Christ's time. I think it could possibly be done, but it would be something that is so egregious um, that this person is, is no longer um, seeking salvation, does not want to be saved. I don't know. That's a, that's a debated topic. Next, the spirit can be resisted, resisted, Acts 7, 51. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. This is Stephen's critique of the leaders. They resist the spirit. The spirit can be lied to. We talked about this uh, in our um, sermon, in my sermon a couple weeks ago. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And you have not lied to men, but to God. So there is the connection of the Holy Spirit and God. In one, uh, one, within two verses of each other. The Spirit can be obeyed, Acts 10. The Spirit commands Peter and he obeys, and so on. Um, and his designations uh, confirm his personality. The Greek word for spirit, pneuma, is normally connected with a neuter pronoun since it is grammatically neuter. Now, we need to talk about this. In Greek, you have three different uh, genders when it comes to uh, language. You have masculine, feminine, and neuter. We have these same genders in English. We would say boy, girl, toy. Okay, so toys tend to be neuter, or objects tend to be neuter. They're not always neuter. Countries are feminine, You're right? United States, she is a wonderful country. Churches are feminine, Ships and boats. Bo- boats are. Ma- I heard somebody say boats are masculine and, fem- and ships are feminine or something like that. It has to do with. I don't know anything about that, but apparently there is a distinction there. But yeah, ships are feminine. We talk about. Um, we talk about some things being masculine, some things being feminine. In Greek, uh, it's the same uh, that masculine and feminine and neuter are, are are grammatical constructions. It's interesting then that when. The Spirit is used, it's used with a masculine pronoun when the Holy Spirit is used, therefore indicating his personhood. So John 15, 26. German, German has three uh, genders also, and it's not intuitive like often, right. often is in the Latin-based languages. It's right. intuitive. It's not always intuitive in Greek either. Sometimes words are masculine that you would think would be feminine, like prophet, prophetess is, is a feminine. Um, but it's, it's stri- but then there's some, and the guys are learning this in Greek, but there's some masculine that act like feminine nouns. They, they, they are structurally feminine nouns and feminine that act like masculine. It's weird. It's weird. Language is weird. And, and uh, there are lots of languages. Like, but I, I don't know anything about German. I couldn't tell you. So you're saying sometimes the nouns you think would be masculine are actually feminine, etc.? And vice versa. Yeah, like newspaper, it's the which is feminine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh, I, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, you also see this in uh, John 16, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So he connected to the spirit. It is a significant detail, so it's not... Uh, your basic connections here is that the Spirit is a person. We're connecting our whole point of number one was to say that the Spirit is a person. It, it has personality. Okay, the Spirit's not a force. The Spirit's not the force. The Spirit's not yin-yang. The Spirit's not um, part of God. It, he, he is a person of the Trinity that is a person. Does that make sense? Any questions about this aspect? Okay. Now, let's look at the the deity of the Holy Spirit, the divine titles of the Spirit. We talk about the title here, Spirit of God. Okay, Spirit of God. It points to his relationship to the Father and to the Son. Back to 1 Corinthians 2.11, it talks about this. He says, For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Okay. Spirit of God. Uh, the word of has a lot of connections, a lot of possibilities, and here it has to do with relationship. The Spirit of God, the Spirit who is God. Okay. Uh, and also the Spirit of Christ. I, I notice if you would in Romans 8, 9 through 11, you could turn there if you don't mind. Or I, I think I have it in the, I might have it in your notes. 
I can't remember which. Sometimes I put the things in your notes. Sometimes I don't. I apologize if I. That one's in the notes. Is it in the notes? Okay, so look at it here. The little box says, for example, in Romans 8, 9 to 11, all the members of the Trinity are mentioned. We have the Spirit of God dwells in you in verse 9. Christ is in you, verse 10. And the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, verse 11. So you have the Spirit mentioned here. It seems fairly clear that the Spirit of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit rather than to Christ or the Father. And from Romans 8, 9 and 8, 13 and 14, it's further seen that the Spirit and the Spirit of God are synonyms in a reference to the third person of the Trinity. A similar example can be seen in Acts 16 when the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are synonyms. So Ephesians 4 states there's only one Spirit, indicating the above proposition is true. Do you follow that? So he says we have the Spirit of God, we have the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and we have the Spirit of Christ all doing the same work, and we also have there being one Spirit. These are all, yes, sir? It has some uh, technical implications for the oft-used phrase of children, ask Jesus into your heart. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't use that phrase for a lot of reasons. I don't think it's biblical. Um, I think uh, the picture here is the Spirit dwelling us, the Spirit of Christ. Notice the verses, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's our first reference. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, there's our second, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Okay, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So there's this connection here between the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, and um, the spirit of him who rose up Christ from the dead. I gave these titles for the spirit in here. Uh, he's called the one spirit, the seven spirits, the Lord, the spirit, the eternal spirit, the spirit of glory, the spirit of life, the spirit of holiness. Holy Spirit, the Holy One, Spirit of Wisdom, Understanding, Counsel, and Knowledge, the Spirit of Strength, Spirit of the Fear of the Lord, the Spirit of Truth, the Willing Spirit, the Spirit of Grace, Spirit of Grace and Supplication. All these are uh, titles of the Spirit of God that are given these different emphases, similar to the titles we have of God, similar to the titles we have of Christ, uh, or the names of God as you have in the Old Testament. So, something to keep in mind. Uh, what are some divine attributes of the Spirit? Well, he has life, an attribute of deity, Romans 8.2. Could someone read that verse for us? Someone find it, Romans 8.2. Yes, sir? You got it? Oh, I thought you raised your... Is it? Go ahead. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Very good. Right? So Romans 8.2, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He has omniscience. The Spirit searches the depths of God. We've already read that verse a couple, a couple times. This is a really key idea that, that uh, what is unfathomable, unfathomable to man is searchable by God, by the Spirit. He's omnipotent. Job 33.4, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Um, omnipresence, Psalm 139. Spirit of truth in the world cannot, oh, I'm sorry, this is John 14, but the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and, you, and will be in you, the spirit of truth. Uh, number five, there is eternity. Called here in Hebrews 9, the eternal spirit. He offered himself, uh, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience. Okay, we have the term Holy Spirit, so holiness in Matthew 12, 32. In Isaiah 63, 10, we have His Holy Spirit. Okay, we talked about the Greek term pneuma. Another key word in the Old Testament is the, is the word ruach. Okay, it looks like this in Hebrew. Ru. Ruach, if you could write that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to, but you can just think of this. Ruach, which means a spirit or a breath. It's the same kind of word. It actually means the same thing that pneuma does. It's the same idea. So the Spirit of God is the breath of God. The Spirit here, His Holy Spirit, the Greek is pneuma um, hagio, which is uh, Holy Spirit. We see it in Luke one thirty-five, and also in Matthew 12.32. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is holy. 
Um, we also see love as a fruit of the Spirit here, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's part of his, his attributes there, part of what he does. And lastly, truth, the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. Okay. Um, so some of his attributes, again, we're talking about his personality and his deity. And these are, these are attributes of deity. And we see that play out. Now, what are some of the divine works of spirit that show that his, he is God? I think one of the most profound is actually in Genesis 1. If you turn there, if you look in your notes... In Genesis chapter 1, in the, beginning was the, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the what? The Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's such a fast... Okay, to understand how dramatic this is and how different... I mean, the, the warmness... And the, the, the fact that the spirit is hovering like a dove hovering and, and is there in this, um, uh, he's, he's present over the face of the waters. We see that also in, and I'll come back to this in a minute, Psalm 104. How manifold are your works and wisdom you've made them. The earth is full of your possessions, the great and wide sea. Um, and then he go to verse 26, which you have made to play there. You send forth your spirit, they are created and renew the face of the earth. So the Spirit is involved with creation, Job 26. By His Spirit, He adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Um, so creation is very important. Very important work of the Spirit. We're actually going to get to this in just a minute. We talk about the images of the Spirit. One of the other things that Spirit's very much involved in as far as divine works is we call generating Christ. That is, in His overshadowing of Mary and the Holy Spirit assuring the sinlessness of the Messiah, the Spirit of God would overshadow her so that she would be conceived. He would be conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's important to note this is not involving any kind of physical sexual activity. Uh, the Mormons would teach you that, that there's actually some sort of physical sexual act that Mary engages in here with the Spirit, which is blasphemous and wrong. Um, there is an overshadowing. It's very clear that this is she is still a virgin at this point. Also, we have at number three there, the inspiration of Scripture, 2 Peter 1. No prophecy came of the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were what? Moved by the Holy Spirit. The picture is there being pushed along like a boat being pushed by sails, the sails being pushed by the wind. Okay, Carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration of Scripture is by the Spirit. That's also connected to the work of illumination. If the Spirit inspires, it's the Spirit also who illumines. Um, regeneration, Titus 3, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We have intercession. We've talked about this already a little bit, but also sanctification, 2 Thessalonians 3. Sanctification by the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit sanctifies. What does sanctify mean? Set apart, yeah. It's connected to another very important Bible word. Holy. Holiness, yeah, there you go. Yeah, being made holy. So in our salvation, we are declared holy, we are made holy, and then we are actually holy. Like we have the, the three steps, justification, sanctification, glorification, free from the penalty of sin, Freeing from the power of sin, freed from the presence of sin. There's like five, about, about ten different ways you can say that three-step process. He also is involved in helping saints. Called a helper, comforter, parakletos, paraclete. Someone who comes alongside and helps, encourages. And he is there in the absence of the, the Son of God. Um, there is this other part here. Uh, I quoted a bunch, uh, 2.3, and we kind of talked about it a little bit here with the procession from the Father. Uh, this is really technical and really not that important, to be honest. But it says here, the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the other members of the Trinity is expressed by the term procession, indicating that the Holy Spirit came forth from both the Father and the Son. And we see that in, um, in John 15, when the, the Helper comes, he shall send, I shall send you from the Father the Spirit of truth who proceeds... From the Father, and in Psalm 104, you send forth your spirit, okay? And I like what he says here in the book. He says, a word of caution should be issued. The procession of the Holy Spirit does not indicate subordination of the Spirit to the other members of the Trinity. 
Now, I would say uh, this is you have to be careful with how the language here is 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 can be tricky. Buswell dis- discusses the problem and notes that this very term is understood by some in the ancient church as the Holy Spirit was quasi-dependent being. Uh, but we reject this term considering it a hindrance. Well, there is nothing wrong with subordination within the Trinity as long as you understand it does not mean anything to do with importance or dependency. Rather, it is, um, rather it is a, a arrangement of uh, an agreed-upon arrangement within the persons of the Trinity. Let me say it this way. The Father, the Son, the Spirit have different roles to play within the Trinity, and you have to understand that. The Spirit and the Father and Son are equal. They're co-equal, yet they are they are a relationship of subordination. The Son submits to the Father. And this is important, actually. You can think about the practical implications of this with marriage. I mean... A wife submits to her husband, not because she's lesser or because she's somehow inferior, but because that is the role in which she is playing in order to honor the Lord. We submit to Christ, and Christ submits to God. There is God the Father. There is this uh, submission that has nothing to do with value or importance or essence. It has to do with role. So there is a little bit of that, but you just have to recognize just because the Spirit processes from the Father does not mean he is less important. Does that make sense? I know that can be a little technical. I never, well, I, re, I remember studying this in seminary and thinking, I don't really think this is the most, that's the most important detail in all of this, but it is dealt with. So let me cover this last bit because I think this is kind of fun. What are some representations of the Spirit in the Bible? We see clothing as a representation of the Spirit. We see this in Luke 24, the presence of the Spirit being clothed with power from on high. The disciples would have this done to them. They would be clothed. Um, I also included some, a quote for you from a book that I read that I thought was really great about a dove. Did you see this? So Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We have the spirit descending like a dove. Have you ever wondered what that looked like? Ever thought about it? Um, like a dove, like a dove, like a dove. Three times it's mentioned. Always like a dove. This means that the Holy Spirit is not a dove. It's not an actual dove. So have you ever seen a, like a movie version of this? They might have an actual dove coming down. It's not, what, it's not saying a dove descended, but that the Holy Spirit was like a dove. And I read this book. Now, I, I do have, I don't know if I put this um, in your notes or not, but I think I did in your footnotes. This book is some good and some bad in it. Okay. I'm warning you, if you ever get this book and read it, it's very interesting, but there's also some real garbage in it. So I, I issue that warning not to just drink it up. Check out this book. She, she, Debbie Blue is a, is a writer. She talks about the dove, basically, when we talk about doves in the Bible, what do you think of when you think of dove? Like, what comes to your mind? Okay. What, what, what picture of the dove? Like, how do you imagine that dove looking? What does it look like? Small. Small? What color? White. White, right? Always white, always pure, white, right? Peaceful. Peaceful. Um, a dove is in our mind is white. The Methodist logo. The Methodist logo. Uh, is it no? The method they have the tongue of fire. No, I guess they do have a dove. I was thinking of the Pentecostals. All the Pentecostals have the dove, right? The, the picture of a dove in our mind tends to be this white, pure dove. But really, it, it, to be more realistic, it's probably more like a pigeon. <laughs> Okay, now what do you think of when I say pigeon? You think, okay, now, but, but get this. Get the picture. I love this. Okay, the rock pigeons found in our cities and barns are probably from populations established by escaped domestic pigeons. They're often referred to as feral pigeons. How is it that a symbol of the Holy Spirit? I believe it's a good one. I like it. It's ubiquitous. That means it's always everywhere. On the streets. There are lots of birds that want to avoid us who are too wild for us, who need their space. You could call them unfriendly. Pigeons want to be close to us. They are where we are. In some of the worst places we have made, our neglected projects and abandoned buildings, and some of the best places, art museums, parks, Rome's piazzas, they won't leave us alone. Yet there's hardly a bird that people are more likely to want to shoot and exterminate. People are very often not fond of pigeons. They call them rats with wings. They are considered pests with infesting urban areas. Cities have tried countless ways to exterminate them, usually unsuccessfully. What if the Spirit of God descends like a pigeon, somehow, always underfoot, routinely ignored, often despised? I thought that's a really interesting point. The Spirit is there among us. 
He's everywhere. He's among us. He's a people. He's among people. And this is so true. If you watch birds, I love to watch birds. I have a big bird feeder at my house. I sit there and I watch birds while I, I'll sit on my couch and I'll watch birds sometimes just because I'm exhausted. (laughs) And I love watching birds because uh, they're just fascinating. And you have cardinals and you have, uh, we have a bunch of bobwhites and we have uh, chickadees and uh, titmouse and we have some wrens, etc. A bunch of songbirds. Some hummingbirds too. But if you try to get close to those birds, they don't let you get close to them. You can't really feed them very well. But pigeons and doves are, 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 don't mind being around people. And I think this is a very fascinating picture of, of all the birds that God could have chosen to picture the Holy Spirit. He chooses a dove, a pigeon, a bird that's very much familiar around people. Um, it's a beautiful little passage. He also is described as the pledge that is a guarantee of our inheritance. Um, Ephesians 1.14, the first installment, a deposit. He's called fire. We see this in Acts 2, the tongues of fire, symbol of God's presence and his approval. That's a blank for you, I believe. His presence and his approval. We see that in Acts chapter 18, story of Mount Carmel. God sends down his righteous fire to lick up. The offering there, the oil, the practice of anointing priests and kings with oil was a uh, picture of what happens when the Holy Spirit anoints us. There's a picture of anointing or the unction of the Spirit of God. This is the word of God, desirable, Zechariah 4, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He's also called a seal. What is the meaning of the word sealing? Uh, seal? To seal is to be uh, marked as a means of identification. So what are the truths about sealing? When God seals us, 2 Corinthians 1, we have been sealed and given the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Sealing signifies three things. It signifies ownership. That's your first blank. Signifies ownership. Signifies security. Okay, because if something was sealed, it was secure. And it signifies authority. Who has the authority? You know, Christ seals us with the Spirit. We are sealed. And also water. During the uh, water ritual, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus proclaimed that he would give living water to anybody. There, there's a lot you could study in John about these images of water. John 4, you know, living water, drink it and you'll never thirst again. In fact, I was just reading. Have you guys ever read... Um, the Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. I was just reading that. Jill, the little girl, goes to Narnia, and she finds herself along by a river, and she's deathly thirsty, and she wants to drink by the river, but there's a gigantic lion right by the river. And she says, the lion speaks to her and says, come and drink. And she says, well, um, yeah, will you eat me? Or can you promise me you won't hurt me? He says, I make no promises. And uh, so then she says, well... She gets so thirsty, she decides to go. And when she drinks of the water, she just takes one sip and she's immediately quenched. And in fact, before she actually takes the drink, she says, well, I guess I'll have to find a a river somewhere else. And he says, there is no other river. There is no other stream. And it's a beautiful picture of what God does with the, with, um, uh, you know, the picture there of what Jesus does in, in John 4. The water. And in water here, he says, uh, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. So it's not just that the water comes from God. It's that out of us will go living water. And in what way was that? Is that true? John chapter seven, he says in verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet Glorified and water in the Bible almost always symbolizes life. Life. Especially running water or living water. Living water is running water, not lakes. Lakes are chaotic and dangerous, but rivers are life-giving. Lastly, obviously, because the word pneuma has to do with the breath the word pneuma also means wind, and the Spirit of God is called a wind. In John chapter 3, Jesus uses this image. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
It's mysterious. We don't know where it comes from or how it, where it's going, but there it is. Spirit. When Jesus says, born of the Spirit, he's saying born of the wind, born of breath. So it's significant to me that, as I said earlier, the Spirit of God, let me just tie this all up in a bow real quick. One of the most important works the Spirit does is illuminating the Word of God. When when God's Word, how does God's, what does God do in order to give us His Word? He speaks. What do you speak with? You speak with your breath. The Spirit of God is the breath and wind of God, so to speak, in a way. So the word breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word in the ancient languages. Spirit of God is a unique person with unique personality and unique will and everything, but the main work of the Spirit of God is connected to the Word of God. He inspires the Word of God. It's the Word of God inspired by the Spirit, and it's the Spirit of God who illumines, who gives us understanding spiritual things with spiritual spiritual things to spiritual people is one way of reading that, interpreting spiritual things with spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2. So that's one of the most important things the Spirit does. Okay, of course, there's regeneration, there's conviction and everything, but it's connected essentially, most importantly, to the Word. Okay. Any other comments or questions as we wrap it up? Thanks for joining us, Pat. Good to see you back there. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I went over there, he was helping with the kids, and I gave him a quiz. <laughs> so he decided to come over. How'd you do? Well... Number one is B. Uh, let's see here. Look at the quiz. Yeah, B. Number two is renewed or new creation. Uh, I said renewed. No. I got it wrong. Okay. Born again. Born again, yeah. Number three is false. Good. I did not read the book, so I put, I don't know the difference between the ghost or the spirit. They're the same. I put no difference. Yay, you um, got it. And the only one that is not is wheat. Oh, you did really well. Good well, job. New creation is Again, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to consider that. Yeah, I'm going to consider. Every point counts at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody's got to hold them accountable, right? Somebody's got to hold That's the line. That's God's work. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I get it. <laughs> Have compassion and mercy. Like Jesus. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> also, speak truth, right? Um, thank you for your good attention. Um, I look forward to next week. Uh, your, if you look at your assignment sheet real quick before I let you go, just kind of catch up where we are, make sure we're, we're right on schedule um, with our assignments. Next week, we're going to talk about the spirit of revelation, inspiration, uh, relation to Christ, the sin against the spirit, baptizing work of the spirit and dwelling of the spirit, sealing of the spirit. If we get through all that, hopefully we will. Uh, we've got a lot of reading next week, so be sure to look at that. And then um, the project two is due in just a couple weeks on the ninth. Now, what your project is, look at it in your in your um, in your notes. You'll notice that it's basically I want you to have a position about the same length as your last paper on the position of the work of the Holy Spirit today in the world. So, uh, basically, I'm asking you to contrast or compare the biblical role of the Spirit, what the Spirit does, with what the world's um, the 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 very popular kind of healings and tongues movements, things like that. Okay. All right. That's it. Thank you. Have a great day. We'll see you guys later.